Here it is. Again. And it's cold. I believe that the music I heard is a killer. It's a killer of hope. It's a killer of spirit. And Devo plays for Muffy's party. We bring you an act who at first may shock you. The Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo. Let's go! Hey everybody, I'm Rob. And I'm Joseph. Welcome to the Roxy Music episode of Deep Dives and Deep Cuts, the history of punk, post-punk, and new wave, 1976 to 1986. The title of this episode is The Roxy Music Deep Dive, but if we had a subtitle, I think that the subtitle would be Everything Joseph Thought That He Knew About Roxy Music Is Wrong. So we are going to have a lot to discuss. To kick things off, a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about Roxy Music, you said that you weren't entirely sure that you even knew a Roxy Music song. That's ridiculous, but I did say that. Obviously, that probably in the UK, that's not much of an issue. But here in the US, I think there's a lot of of people just like you that Mm -hmm. aren't have heard of Roxy Music but couldn't name a song, but have almost certainly heard at least one. So let's just get it out of the way. Their most well-known song, uh, one of their most beloved, off of their final album, This Is The Song More Than This. I totally recognize that song and, and i mean that song was played all the time on american radio uh, and radio where i was from uh which is a cow town but it, as we're doing research for this this set i realized i know plenty more than just one song so uh, roxy yeah. music is, is pretty familiar to me so yeah it's good stuff before we introduce our guest uh, i need to get a little bit of business out of the way i just want to remind everybody that we are talking about music music is art and there is nothing more subjective than art Um, This is an opinion show, but we do try to be mindful not to get too opinionated because ultimately we're here to discuss this extraordinary music that was produced in a pretty unique period of time. Now, Rob, there's something about this episode. So it is a deep dive episode on Roxy Music. We've been looking forward to that. We have an awesome guest coming up, but there is one other significant notable thing about this particular episode any ideas um no but you've got my interest peaked so this is celebrate our 50th episode oh wow are you kidding me it's How? the big five oh <laughs> well well okay so here's the great thing right our 50th episode happens to be uh 
this also happens to be Roxy Music's 50th anniversary. Like their first album came out 50 years ago. I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that is. Yeah. Well, congratulations, Joseph. Happy anniversary. <laughs> well, congratulations to you too, Rob. Are you are you going to go out and celebrate? I might. I might. Yeah. I, I don't know how you put up with me for 50 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if you can do it with me, I can do it with All right. you. It's, well, let's do it. Let's, least, yeah. least I could do. I think we got at least another 50 in us. <laughs> Rob, so much to go over. I, I've just this last last couple of weeks has been <laughs> have been me recalibrating. Um, I was so wrong about so many things. I feel like a lot of this episode, I'm going to spend it just backtracking what I said in the last episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I'm kind of in the same place with that. It's it's but it's going to be a fun episode because we've got some you know we've, well we've got a guest for one thing and that's a that's a good thing we're always having fun when we have a guest on that's right super thrilled to have him back he he was our very first guest yeah rob you want to do the honors yeah so we're bringing back we're bringing back richard temple of course uh you guys might remember him we had him here for the manchester scene which was a fantastic episode well, um, we thought it'd be a great idea to see what Richard's take is on Roxy Music. And uh, everybody, uh, welcome Richard Temple. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me back. Um, I, I just wanted to say, actually, for, by, based on your introduction alone, because um, I didn't catch the last episode, so I don't know what you said in the last episode, but um, I think there's going to be a lot of difference between how Roxy Music is seen from the UK, where I am, mm -hmm. and in the US. Because uh, they took quite a while to break the US, didn't they? And I don't... Yeah. I mean, they're actually... For my generation, at least... Uh, I'm in my 50s. For my generation, they're a very, very mainstream act. Um, yeah. It's unthinkable anyone of my age wouldn't have heard of Roxy Music. My first uh, reference for Roxy Music... I thought of Roxy Music for a long time as a new wave band. That was my first uh, sort of entry point for them was Avalon. And, you know, all of my new wave friends just revered that album. So you were the last time that we spoke to you, you were uh, schooling us on the Manchester, England scene in the um, in the late 70s and early 80s. We're thrilled to have you back. It's been about a year. It took us a while. Um, yeah. You're a Brit, so obviously you must know everything there is to know about Roxy Music, right? <laughs> I'm probably not as much of an authority as I was on the uh, Manchester scene, but uh, I'm a fan, yeah. And were, fan, you, so. were you consuming Roxy Music in real time? Were you listening to and getting the albums as they came out? Weirdly, no, um, because... Well, I mean, I'm not quite old enough to have been there. You know, I was four when the first album came out, so, mm -hmm. or five. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was five when the first album came out. But um, obviously I was around when things like Avalon came out. But weirdly at the time, they seemed kind of too mainstream for me. Um, so I came to Roxy Music really backwards through their influences, through being in, really interested in the Banshees and Adam and the Ants and looking at where they'd come from. Um and and I loved the song Love Is the Drug, so um, I I got a Best of album, and that opened my eyes to things like uh, Virginia Plain and Do the Strand, and I was I was like, what is right. going on here? You know, there's there's such an enigma, um, Roxy music. There's so many different things 
happening there and it, they're really hard to pin down um but I, I guess you know sort of as a kid i mostly knew brian ferry for things like uh, let's stick together and jealous guy so sure yeah very adult orientated stuff so i was like you know that it was it was a bit too um slick and produced for me at the time as a young punk rocker but yeah i mean uh once I got that best of, there's no looking back. You know, I, I got the first couple of albums then, and I was like, "What? Is, what is actually happening here?" <laughs> well, I think all three of us have a lot to say about their their stuff. Um, but before we go into it in the in more detail, let's just do a a real quick like Roxy Music 101. Um, this is just really just the vital stats. Um, so they were. Um, they were signed to a record label pretty quickly. Their first album came out in 1972. Um, the top five Spotify songs for Roxy Music are More Than This, which we just heard, Avalon, the title uh, track off of their last album, Love is the Drug, Jealous Guy, and then Oh Yeah. Um so there are what I were going to refer to as the core four members of the band, um, which are Brian Ferry, uh, vocals, keyboards, piano, rhythm, guitars, Andy McKay, saxophone, oboe, keyboards, backing vocals, Paul Thomas, drums, and Phil Manzanera um, on lead guitar. Now they have over the years, had a total of 24 different band members. We're not going to go through all of them, but there is one that we yeah. definitely need to talk about yeah. just right off the bat. He was one of the founding members, only a part, uh, only contributed to their first two albums, and that, of course, is Brian Eno. Wow. <laughs> Can I just say from a UK perspective, that's even more so. If you if you ask most people of my generation, at least, or, or older, um who who's in Roxy Music? The first two they'd say would be Brian Brian Ferry and Brian Eno, which is mm -hmm. bizarre when you consider that he's only, he was only on twenty five percent of their uh, releases. Yeah. You know? Right, right. Uh, you know, and actually, I I think that probably I would have been in the same boat as well. So Roxy Music has influenced a ton of artists. I mean, that is mainly the reason why we're doing this here today. Uh, so here is just a partial list. Niall Rogers, Kate Bush, Susie and the Banshees, Duran Duran, Adam and the Ants, U2, The Smiths, Depeche Mode, Nick Cave, Spanda Ballet, Radiohead, Scissor Sisters, Talking Heads, Simple Minds, Garbage, Placebo, uh, Golden Frap, Pulp, The Sex Pistols, The Human League, and Franz Ferdinand. So whew, that is quite a list. That's just a partial list. Um, yeah, so that is that is my very very brief overview of <laughs> Roxy Music, um, and they are actually together right now touring, yeah. and it is yeah. the core four um, are all back together on the road. Um, and that's, they even asked Dino to do this too. <clears throat> he said, "Oh wow!" He uh, he came back with. Uh, just, just a statement that he didn't think it was a very good idea for him to to join it. But yeah, because um, Eno was on Ferry's last solo album, so they're talking again, which is nice. 
Okay, so my suspicion is that the three of us are going to have ranking lists that are all totally unique. Um, one of the nice things about Roxy Music is there is not a lot of daylight between their best album and the worst album. They are pretty consistent. Um, so then it kind of gets just gets down to your personal tastes in you know, the styles that they're leaning heavily into on one album versus the other. So, Rob, do you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. Absolutely. Um, so starting starting with uh, number eight, my least favorite, we're going to call Manifesto. Uh, number seven is Flesh and Blood. Number six is Avalon. Number five is Siren. Number four is Stranded. Number three is For Your Pleasure. Number two is Country Life. And number one, my very favorite, is Roxy Music. Uh, people are surprised, I think, that Avalon was so low on my list. But that that sound is just not for me, you know? I mm, just mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I, Every time I've listened to that album, I've fallen asleep. So uh, yeah. <laughs> it's just not for me. Going into this, I was convinced that uh, Richard's list and my list would be polar opposites. But I think you, you, whatever Richard <laughs> has, you've got him beat because basically you can just take your list and pretty much flip it. Yeah. Um, so yeah. my least favorite, and and really, I I got to say, this was of all of the deep dives that we've done the, as far as rankings go, this was the most difficult one because it was like. I had my two least favorite and my two uh, favorite, but then the other four, it it was there, it was like a a toss up. It was like a four way tie for for the middle. So I really struggled with this one. But um, my least favorite Roxy music is Rob's favorite one, their debut album, uh, t- simply titled Roxy Music. Um, my number seven is, uh, Manifesto. My number six is For Your Pleasure. And I actually pretty much like For Your Pleasure. So everything from here on out, I I really do enjoy. Number five is Stranded. Number four is Country Life. Number three is Siren. Number two is Avalon. And number one is Flesh and Blood. I, I'm really going for that new wave disco thing that they're they're doing uh, in the early '80s. So, what about you, Richard? Uh, well, uh, I was actually expecting mine to be pretty much diametrically opposed to yours, but it's not entirely. It's they're uh-huh. all they're all quite shuffled, which is uh, again, I think that really sums up boxy music. They're so hard to pin down and, uh, and yeah. sort of work out what you would expect someone to think of them. Um, is, oh, it's worth mentioning, you said about uh, in the uh, list of people who were influenced, Susie and the Banshees, that's probably where I got into it because I was a huge Banshees fan when I was a kid. And um, uh, they they even stole their name. I mean, um, the Banshees was a band that Brian Ferry was in in college. <laughs> so they, they, oh, they huh. li- literally stole their band name from Ferry. Um but okay. Anyway, so uh, yeah, my least favorite is Country Life. I, I don't have uh, very much good to say about that, if I'm honest. Um, then I would say Siren, 
and it, it does get harder after that. Siren and Manifesto. I feel those three Apache. They've 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 all got some decent stuff on them, but uh, compared with the rest, it, I, I found that easy to put them at the bottom. Um, after that, it gets really difficult. Uh, so I'd say next next up, which would be number one, two, three, four, five, would be Flesh and Blood. Uh, four stranded, three Roxy Music, number two Avalon, and number one for your pleasure. Okay, so so we got love for just about every phase <laughs> of Roxy Music. This right. is this is going to be fantastic. So um, we're uh, I guess we're about to jump into uh, talking about their debut. But uh, just one last note. So. I would say about sort of like the big takeaway uh, that that I I have as far as the last couple of weeks that I've just immersed myself into their music is I think that Roxy Music, if Roxy Music went to high school, I think that they might be voted like most likable. I mean, this is an incredibly likable band. I mean, there there are some genres like if you if you only like hip hop or country, there's probably not a lot here for you. But I mean, when you think about it, if if you like punk, new wave, disco, art rock, classic rock, pop, I mean, there is something here for everybody. I I don't know about you, Richard, but a phrase I have never heard uttered in my life is somebody say, I hate Roxy music, right? I, I don't mean, think I have. And that's quite surprising, actually, because there's some quite yeah. problematic things about them. I mean, you know, I mean, the from the point of view of looking back at, and sexism and things like that, yeah, you could yeah. really criticise them. Um, fairies politics aren't... aren't universally recognized as great um so it's quite surprising that i think you're right i don't think i've ever the thing is musically they're just brilliant yeah. musically they're, yeah. they're they're doing what they do so well yeah even when what they do isn't what you like um it's good <laughs> you know? okay well i guess it is we are overdue to jump into the um actual exa actually examining the individual albums so let's talk about their debut album it was released in 1972 um eponymously titled roxy music uh they had a uh pretty big hit in the uk uh called uh, virginia plains uh, it was not on the original UK release, but it was added for the US release. Rolling Stone thinks that their debut album is the 62nd best debut album of all time. Uncut ranks it as the ninth best debut. And Q Magazine says it's the 31st most cosmic rock album. <laughs> wow. They've got they've got at least thirty other cosmic rock albums. Uh, that's great. <laughs> so, Rob, tell us why this is your favorite Roxy Music album. Is um, it the so the, you know they are quite often referred to as an art rock band, uh -huh. and honestly, I mean, for an art rock band in quotes, they are pretty poppy and pretty accessible. But this is probably their 
art rockiest. Um, is that what appeals to you? Maybe, you know, for me, it was as far the other direction from uh, Avalon, which, you know, it's not a bad album, but for me, <laughs> it's just so mainstream. Um, but but what I liked about this album, specifically liked about it, is you've got songs like Bitter's, uh, Bitter's End or, um, you, you know, you've got Remake, Remodel, Ladytron. These songs are like, they're, they're kind of weird and they're kind of, I don't know, they're kind of magical to me. Uh, the word avant pop was used and glam rock has been used. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. To, to me, avant pop probably says it right. It, it, art rock is exactly what this is. And it just, it tickled my fun, my fun bone, man. I was just loving it. Enjoyed the whole album. Yeah, I, very, very theatrical. Exactly, um, yeah. Right. Right. So that so now that I think about it, that that actually doesn't surprise me that, that you gravitated to it. Well, you uh, mentioned specifically the song Bitters End. Um, that is the song that Richard Temple uh, chose for us to feature off of this album. So why don't why don't we listen to that now? While destiny prepares to fly, the farmyard chorus sings its way. Upstanding and from to the sky. Too soon to realize the fate is all. You are the raven of October. I do the sign you flew along. Up in the air so high. Bitter's End is probably my favorite song on the album. I love the trill in his voice. Uh, it reminds me it reminds me of another singer from a band that we've heard in 1978 and 79. Um, but this is 1972, which means that other band probably was highly inspired by Roxy Music. <laughs> so. Yeah, so this is... Um... Uh, I don't. I don't think this is a bad album. Um, it is my least favorite one for one reason and one reason only, which is that um, some of the songs are just like a little too early '70s boogie woogie rock for me, which is like I head for the hills <laughs> when when I hear that stuff. Yeah, that's that's what I love about it. That's, that's a great <laughs> part of it to me. <laughs> but it's so warped, though. I mean, it's it's not like they're doing that straight. I mean, it, it's right. the, it's a really warped album. It's my number three album. It's well, certainly top three. I've put it as number three in my top ten this time. Um, but I think it's it is the most art rock album, undoubtedly. I mean, even the lyrics are all sort of art references and whatever. There's, <laughs> I love Ferry's lyrics on it because they're absolute nonsense. It <laughs> makes no, no sense whatsoever. Um, it was a struggle to decide which song, song to choose from it because Remake, Remodel and Lady Tron are both incredible as well. Um, but I think more than anything, obviously more than most of them, but uh, more than any, any of the others, um, the sort of dynamic between Ferry and Eno on this album is incredible because Ferry's there doing his sort of lounge singer thing and Eno's so out of control. Um, yeah. 
And uh, Eno wasn't a musician at the time. I mean, Ferry knew him from art school, and uh, he knew how to use a synthesizer. That's why he was dragged in, because... And and that's pretty avant-garde in itself. I mean, how many bands had used synthesizers before 1972? You know, white noise and it, it, that's about it, isn't it? <laughs> Delia Derby shit. So I mean, the fact yeah. that the fact that um, Ferry went out of his way to find someone who had and could use a synthesizer in itself is is you know massively forward-thinking. Um, but more the weird thing about this album to me is that. This and the second album, actually, um, Brian Ferry wrote all of the songs, which mm. it, I'll come back to it when we get to uh, when we get to for your pleasure. But um, that's a real surprise to me because you've got this sort of guy who's doing this like film noir um, lounge singing thing, but in such a bizarre and twisted way. Um, <laughs> we, and then you've got Eno all over the top of it. So, I mean, I, I find it a really strange album. <laughs> okay, let's move on to their second album. Um, so, Roxy Music, they are a machines as far as output. I mean, it's like, while they're together, it's at least one album a year. So, 1973 sees the release of their follow-up album called For Your Pleasure. Uh, this is the last one with Eno. It is Rolling Stone's uh, 351st Greatest Album of All Time, NME's 88th Greatest Album of All Time, Q Magazine's 33rd Best British Album, Pitchfork's 87th Best Album of the 70s, and Morrissey, because I know that Richard Temple cares what Morrissey <laughs> thinks, thinks it's the only truly great British album. He, he can't so even there's... say anything nice without having a dig at everyone else, can he? <laughs> <It's> not... <laughs> um, yeah, okay, well, it's my number one album uh, in this top ten. Um, I, I had real trouble picking a song from this. Um, I mean, I, I could have picked any song from this album <laughs> as my favourite, really. Um, the I'd like I, I was going to give honourable mentions to other songs, but all of the other songs, <laughs> right. and it's it, weirdly to me it's Ferry and Eno working together at their best, which is not what you expect from an album just before someone's going to leave. Um, right, yeah. And I mean point. the the split was. It's kind of unclear. It was to do with Ferry wanting control of the band, which. I think he had to because he had, had a vision of where it was going and whatever. Um, but, you know, not quite playing ball with that. But it got quite acrimonious. I mean, if you, you know, uh, Eno's first solo album's got uh, Dead Finks Don't Talk on it, in which he, which is basically just a complete piss take of Brian Ferry, including an impression of his vocals. Um, oh, wow. Um, but what I find really fascinating about this as well is th th these first two albums were the only two that Ferry wrote completely on his own. Um, mm. But you can tell from this point on in Roxy Music that Eno was a massive influence on how they sounded. Because um, the sound does... I mean, it's, it's, quite, a, it's quite a smooth change, but the, the sound does change from album three. And if you listen to the first two Brian Eno albums, they actually sound like early Roxy music, and yet Ferry wrote it. So I think Eno's 
I guess was arranging, arranging and producing, and, and I think that had such a major impact on the sound of those first two albums, but in particular this one. I mean, this if you listen to uh, Here Come the Warm Jets or Before and After Science by Brian Eno, For Your Pleasure sounds yeah. like that. Uh, uh, so what what did you finally settle on as far as the song that you wanted to highlight off? I of had album? to go for Do the Strand. I mean, as one, it's, it's difficult with Roxy Music to to not pick the singles because the Ferry's really good at picking singles. Um, and uh, Do the Strand actually wasn't a single in the UK, but it it was in quite a lot of the rest of the world, and they released it yeah. in the late seventies retrospectively as a single. Um, but it's. I mean, Do the Strand is is absolute genius in my opinion. It's a it's a song about Strand cigarettes <laughs> because Ferris was such an outspoken chain smoker. There's a new sensation, a fabulous creation, a danceable solution to teenage revolution. Do the Strand. Again, I felt this song was very dramatic. I like Do the Strand. Um, but it, to me, so you're saying it's about Strand cigarettes, which makes a whole lot of sense. But they take the idea of Strand cigarettes and they turn it into a, a how to dance song, like uh, The Twist or, or a song like that. <laughs> I think that is totally awesome. I think that's hysterical. Well, this is not one of my favorite of their albums, but I do like it. And what, um, what elevates it for me is um, it just has like a lot of excellent funk bass. And I got to tell you, one of the biggest surprises that I had was, um, you know, I waited as I always do until the very last minute to put together, you know, to actually do my research on the history of the band and put it all together. So as I was listening to all these albums, I had, I mean, I knew that there was uh Fairy and I knew there was Eno, but that was basically it. And I made a general assumption. My general assumption was that there was one bass player that was part of the core four that just stuck with the band the whole time. Because really, I think my favorite moments or my favorite songs are really propelled by the excellent funk bass just throughout their career. And I was astonished to, to see that they, they went through a lot of, of bass players, but you, I never would have guessed it. I was, I was convinced I was ready to say, Oh, this bass player is most valuable player for, for Roxy music. But I couldn't because they, they just, they just chewed through them <laughs> super fast. To illustrate that, um, and uh, you'll be happy to hear we will not listen to the entire song because it goes on forever, but um, the 
the song "The Bogus Man" is probably their longest song, uh, studio song. I, I would argue as well. I mean, I absolutely love it. It was would have been my second choice off of the album, um, but it's probably the least Roxy music song they ever did. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that, that that could be true. Right, I just, yeah. you know, this is just this is like weird white boy funk uh exactly the way that i like <laughs> <Right>. it so <laughs> um so let's go ahead and listen to the bogus man that that is my pick off of roxy music's second album for your pleasure song is my favorite song on the album and the eerie vocals I just really think are great um I I, kind of feel like this this has like uh, a creepy stalker vibe and then there's this like kind of bouncy music behind you know behind the lyrics um but I, I wonder if it's if it really is about a stalker or if it's maybe about the record execs and and how uh, maybe Roxy Music is actually calling them out. Um, So they came out with another album in 1973, and this is Stranded. Yeah, so this is their, the second album released in 1973. The the hit off of this was Street Life. Um, And uh, it is notable that uh, Brian Ferry releases his first solo album in 1973 too. So apparently, <laughs> yeah. he he didn't sleep for a full year. Well, he was doing the Strand. That's why. Yeah, <laughs> I think because he was so busy, uh, it shouldn't be a, a surprise that this is. I think I believe this is Roxy Music's shortest album with only oh. eight songs, okay. and um. Uh, I think we're going to listen to the big hit off of this called Street Life. The new new synthesizer uh, player Eddie Jobson uh, on violin as well. Um, I had read that Street Life, and I, I don't didn't recognize this song. I don't think I've ever heard it, but it was later covered by Def Leppard, who is not one of my favorite bands. But apparently, they covered it, and uh, Morrissey as well took this song on one of his tours. I know what song we're going out on. 
<laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, another cool thing about this album, though, is that from what I understand, uh, you know, this is not a Brian Eno album, of course. He left with the last one the same year. But he did later on say that this was his favorite Roxy music album. I believe it was, he said it was his favorite album at all. At all. Oh, yeah, I think mm. you're right. Yeah. Isn't mm. that cool? Well, I, I would say that, that it would not occur to me listening to the two albums back to back that there was a, um, a change, a lineup change in the, the keyboardist. I mean, probably, I'm sure if you're listening for it, you can hear it, but it is it is not, like, jarring to me. Yeah. So I, I remember I, being quite surprised when I found out that, you know, wasn't on it, to be honest. Yeah, um, yeah. And also the sort of the arrangements and the structure of the songs are similar to the first two albums. It's a really nice right. crossover. Because um, I guess, I mean, it, okay, Ferry didn't write all the songs on this one, but um, he wrote most of them. And I, I guess those, so he, he was still bearing in mind, I think, what Eno had done with the first two albums. And it's a sort of gentle crossover into what comes next. So it works really well from that point of view. Um, you know, it could easily have been dramatic, a dramatic break when Eno left. But I think they've been quite careful for it not to be. So the next album that Roxy Music releases is um, Country Life, coming out in 1974. Richard, I believe this is your least favorite. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. The yeah. best, best thing about this is the cover. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I mean, this is, uh, for me, when it comes to Roxy's, Roxy Music and the sort of like white boy funk disco um, this is kind of the highlight of of their output for me. I mean, it is a strange album, but I think it's my kind of weird. It's it's working. It doesn't feel disjointed. It just feels like a roller coaster, um, which I, for whatever reason, really kind of gravitate to. This is uh, this is my number two album, and mm-hmm. uh, I know that there are critics out there who consider it to be their most consistent album. And I just kind of felt like, um, you know, there's enough of their, there's enough of their past sound, the sound from their, their previous albums, but also enough change from that that makes it sound like they're moving forward. And, and I, I just really, I don't know. I really adore it. I love this album, by the way, as far as the models, I, uh, on the cover, I was reading that the, uh, the sister and the girlfriend, of um, the band Can, uh, their guitarist. Those, that's his sister and and his girlfriend on the cover, and I, I, I find that kind of kind of interesting. I think I, I mean the cover's iconic, but equally I don't think it did them tremendous favors because it was it was censored in the U.S., wasn't it? It was sold on the plain yeah. cover in the U.S. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So where they were just starting to build an interest in the U.S., I think they they struggled with that a bit. Um, I, I absolutely agree with what Rob just said, actually, even though, albeit my f- least favourite album, but I think it's... Whereas Stranded was a really nice sort of transition into this, but for me, Country Life is kind of the start of a build-up, so you can see where it's going, but none of it quite hits the mark for me. 
So the first song we're going to hear, oh, I should mention the uh, big hit off of this album was a song called All I Want Is You. Uh, We won't be listening to that today. Uh, Instead, we're going to listen to Bittersweet, which is um, one of their more famous songs. certain softness I think of the vocals at some point and then all of a sudden there's this impact of the lyrics going into German and the music is just you know it seems more forceful I found that to be probably my favorite part of this song and, and made it my favorite song of the album um, I, ju- I just think that that's a really interesting dynamic uh, and and a little bit jarring while you're listening to it. <laughs> well, jarring is the word. I would say that yeah. I'm I'm over the line as far as uh, jarring jarring enough versus too jarring. I find it a, uh, a yeah. little too much for me, uh, which is maybe one of the reasons why my pick from this album is a song called "The Thrill of It All." So I mentioned before. I gravitate to this album for the white boy funk disco, and this is like Exhibit A. Sorry to say, but I am not crazy about this song. Um, you know, it, there, there, there is a little bit of that. That I, I, I see where you like this song, and oh, yeah. I totally respect your choices, and I appreciate your choices. Um, but to me, this was like kind of a total rock tune from the '80s. You know, it, it still at the same time, it means that Roxy Music's ahead of their time. But yeah, I mean, I, I agree, but I suppose that kind of makes it one of their most influential songs, doesn't it? Good point, yeah. <laughs> okay, let's move on to 1975's Siren. Mm-hmm. Two weeks ago, I would have said with a fair degree of certainty that Love is the Drug, which is um, off of this album, was on their first album and was their breakthrough hit and probably was a single that was released that got them... Um, a record contract. I don't know where I had it in my head, but here in the United States, 
if you're listening to commercial radio, which still exists, um, if you ever hear any Roxy music at all, it's either going to be more than this or love is the drug, just kind of depending on the station. So if it's a classic rock station, it's going to be love is the drug. Um, I, I would guess that that is actually the most played Roxy music song nowadays on um, American radio. I think in the UK, you'd probably be challenged to listen to um, any rate, any commercial radio station that wasn't just playing chart hits, wasn't playing only playing contemporary music, and go a full day without hearing Roxy music. So the other uh, big hit off of this album was a song called Both Ends Burning. The song that I want to feature off of this album, um, I don't know that I would necessarily call it my favorite, but I did find it pretty interesting and kind of like sneakily compelling is a song called Nightingale. Before we go into the next song, which happens to be uh, an obvious choice and my favorite uh, song on the album, before we do, I want to bring up the cover again, because on the cover is Brian Ferry's then-girlfriend, and I think Mick Jagger's former girlfriend, Jerry Hall, um, which, again, is, is a scantily clad lady, but I, I have been glued to their covers because I, I, for some reason, it's not because of the, the the scantily clad women. It's just I find them interesting. It's not because you're a horn dog. No, well, I mean there is that, but that's not related. <laughs> <laughs> I just I do find I do find uh, find the covers interesting, and and I made it a point to like pay attention to the covers and see what was going on. Even the last album, I find to be very interesting, although. It may include a scantily clad female. You can't tell. Um, that but, is, but anyway. Probably not surprisingly, that is my favorite of their covers. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but Jerry Hall, you know, crawling all around looking, looking creepy. I, I thought that was pretty cool. So, but yeah, so my, my favorite song on the album is not Nightingale. And I, I'm sorry to say, uh, my very favorite is Love is the Drug. And the point of that is... This is another one of those songs that I'm like, oh, my God, I've heard this song a million times. I didn't yep. realize, you know, and uh, and and I don't know. Love is the Drug might actually be my favorite song of theirs. It's hard to say um, because as as we do research, we kind of gravitate towards others. And, and I, I've got a few that kind of talk. As I said at the top of the show, it, it was my entry point, really, because... You yeah. know, I, I was aware of Roxy Music, but I'd always thought of them as something, you know, my dad would like. Um, 
but Love Is the Drug really stuck in my head, and that's what made me go out and buy the Best of album. It's it's really quite strange when you listen to the instrumentation of it. It's really quite an odd song, um, which. But we're so used to hearing it, I guess, that it just sounds like pure pop now. And it's it's an astonishingly great track to the extent that I, you know, I didn't want to pick the obvious pick off Siren, but Siren's kind of a one trick pony, you know. It's like there's yeah. nothing there's nothing else on the album that compares to Love Is the Drug because it's, it's just an astonishingly good yeah. song. Ain't no big thing to wait for the had much of a choice when it came to our song picks but to feature a lot of their most famous songs because this is that kind of a band it's like they they are so good at um you know pop singles and i i think the fact that there's so much avant-garde they've got some glam and everything like really grounds them so it allows them to to be poppy without without losing credibility because they've got all of this other stuff that grounds them um and so just like it's hard to talk about blondie without featuring their most famous hits i i think that's true with roxy music at all i mean also they they really are an excellent pop band and ferry's incredibly good at choosing singles uh, yeah, I mean, the singles are pretty much faultless. All right, let's move on to um, nineteen. Oh, so they take. So, Richard, is it? Did they break up, or was it just sort of a, a hiatus? I know that Brian Ferry was like churning out solo albums like crazy. That was it. Yeah, I think he was just working on on his solo stuff quite a lot, and the others had some solo or, or sort of you know other projects going on as well. So. I, think that, I don't. I don't think they actually split up. Or... Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't until 1979 that they released uh, Manifesto. We have spent a fair amount of time already talking about this album because it was one that we covered in the last episode. So we'll probably uh, not spend a ton of time here. Uh, we have already heard the songs "Trash" and "Dance Away." Uh, the big hits off of this album were Dance Away and Angel Eyes. And so we're, since we're covering all three singles off of this album, apparently, we're going <laughs> to listen to uh, Richard's pick off of this, which is Angel's Eyes. This is the original studio cut, not the disco version that was a big hit for them. Am I deceived? 
this is my least favorite album, so it's probably no surprise that says, uh, uh, you know, when I say that I feel like this song was generic enough not to really grab me. I, I am hoping again that I get turned around and and taught something new. But uh, was this was this your pick, Richard? Right, uh, Angelis was my pick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Manifesto is not one of my favourites either. I mean, it was, uh, I think it was number six on my list. Um, but I do think it it's an important album because uh, always, I think it's the first album they started using electronic drums. Um, and people people think of like the Human League and Kraftwerk and stuff as, as sort of, you know, the pioneers of electronic music. Roxy Music were there right from 1972. And... I consider this to be the album when Brian Ferry essentially invented the new romantic movement. All right, let's move on to the following year, 1980. Roxy Music releases their second to the last album called Flesh and Blood. Um, this is an album that really kind of just does it for me. It's it's a little cheese ball, and I understand why people wouldn't like it. But um, it's my kind of cheese. Uh, the big hits on this were Over You and Oh Yeah. Uh, at this point, they are down to three main members. So it's Ferry, McKay, and Manzanera. Um, and my last note on this is Rolling Stone absolutely hated this album. So that is confirmation <laughs> that I am on the right track. <laughs> and they like everything, so... <laughs> I'm really surprised they hated it. Okay, let's get into the music off of this album. Um, I picked Same Old Scene because I thought we just absolutely had to um, feature it because there is, when you listen to this song for the first time, there is really only one band that is going to jump into mind, and I'm going to play it and see if you agree with me. So Richard, throwing it over to you, is there is there when you listen to that song, is there a particular band that just leaps out at you, or is it just me? I said, well, almost everything from the early eighties, but, but yeah. say, level forty-two, I guess. Oh well, that's that's interesting. I was thinking Duran Duran. Oh gosh, I mean, yes, of course, yeah, you're right yeah. as well. Yeah. I mean, it's like the bass player of Duran Duran. I mean, how? How much time did he spend living with this album? But again, that goes back to pretty much everything from the '80s. You know, it's uh, uh, I mean, all the <laughs> bands were were definitely influenced by Roxy Music. So yeah, I mean, uh, John Fox and Ultra sense. Vox and you know. yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. Th this album, as much as Manifesto, really is is like it, it just created the '80s English music, right, well, right. British music. Yeah, you know? yeah. Right, right. Exactly. Uh, so the second song we're going to hear off of this is uh, one of their big hits. Um, this is your pick, Richard. What did What did you pick? 
I picked Oh Yeah on the radio. Um, it's certainly not one of my favourite Roxy Music tracks, but I think this this to me is is what uh, Rob said about an earlier one. Um, this feels kind of generic to me. This album, but uh-huh. they do it. They do what they're doing very very well indeed. Um, and this is kind of I don't know. I suppose it's AOR, you know, um, but it's. It's really good. I, I, there's not many AOR tracks I'd pick and go like, uh, you know, this is a great track, and I, I do, I like it. Some expression in your eyes overtook me by surprise. Where was I? How was I to know? Brings up uh, this. This kind of leads us into the next album, but uh, you know, oh yeah, has something in it that tells me it would be just as comfortable on their next album, Avalon. Um, to to me, again, that's like a that's the early '80s uh, sound, and uh, um, but but anyway, at that point. Uh, their next album, Avalon, came out in 1982. Uh, singles on it were More Than This, Avalon, and if I remember correctly, Take a Chance With Me. Yeah, so this is Rolling Stone's number 31 on their list of best album of the 80s, and Rolling Stone's number 307 ranking the highest on their list of greatest albums of all time. Um, so there's that. Um, mm-hmm. I have a lot to say about this album, so I'm actually going to throw <laughs> it over to you two to say your piece before I go on my okay. little rant. Okay. Um, well, I do want to point out uh, that Brian Ferry said that Avalon was mostly written in the studio and that it changed their whole working methods, like how they did things. He, say, he also said that uh, that their last three albums were uh, there were more drugs involved, which was a good thing and a bad thing. <laughs> Okay, I'm I'm gonna try and I'm gonna try and convince um, Rob to take more time with Avalon because I think Avalon's a wonderful, wonderful, faultless album. Um, it only makes my number two because For Your Pleasure is in the running. Um, it's a fabulous album in my opinion. It is very straight. It is very mainstream. It is very slickly produced. Um, but if you see it in the context of their whole career you've got these eight albums and all the way from Roxy Music to Manifesto there's a transition from this sort of wild cosmic bizarre chaotic mess into Ferry's sort of um lounge lizard you know sleazy fantasy 
because I mean the guy the guy's working class son of a farmer you know from from Newcastle he's but and yet he's what everyone would picture as being present he, he was made for awards parties <laughs> you know it's like he needs to be at an Oscars party all of the time and um this album is is kind of the pinnacle of that it's there was no point in Roxy Music continuing after this recording. I mean, you know, they've, they've continued as a live concern, but they've never recorded anything else, and there's no point, because this is the pinnacle that transitions Roxy Music into very solo stuff, really. Um, yeah. But this is clearly, in my opinion, this is clearly an album they knew was going to be their last. And... Whereas that's usually, if you look at sort of Abbey Road and stuff like that, that's usually a really disjointed album where the band's falling apart and whatever else. This is... They're completely on side. They know what they're doing. If you look at the lyrics throughout the album, it's all stuff like uh, more than this, you know. It's like, it was fun for a while, there's no way of knowing um, who can say where we're going, you know. the, yeah. Tell me one thing more than this. There's nothing, um, and like Avalon itself, you know, the party's over. It's, it's like the whole thing is a goodbye, and it's it's a really, yeah, really yeah. nicely done and beautiful goodbye from a ten year, you know, ten year career of of Roxy Music. I I would say that this album is sort of the opposite of of disjointed. I would say maybe to yeah. a fault. To, to the point where probably some people, I'm guessing this might be true with you, but I, uh, Rob, but I don't want to put any words in your mouth. Sure. Some people might find it kind of boring. Yeah, yeah. And, well, that's that's kind of what, what I was feeling, what I've always felt about this album. And I'll, I'll put it, I don't know, I'll put it in this perspective with an obscure band that I absolutely love. But it's like, you know, their first album and their last album to me are like listening to an album by the band Doofus and then listening to John Lennon's Imagine. You know, it's that <laughs> one is one is wildly interesting and the other one to me is is nice but it's relaxing and and somewhat typical in my mind. So, and I'll probably get a lot of shit for saying that Imagine is typical, but maybe not from this crowd, I don't know. It is quite possible that I have not actually listened to this album um since the 80s. I can't say that for certain. So when it came back and revisited, it was not how I remembered it at all. Um, so I I definitely want to backtrack uh, some of the stuff that I said in the last episode when I referred to this as an absolute new wave classic. This isn't particularly new wave. Um, what this is. So there are a number of paradoxes about this album just as far as it's standing in the world and its performance. So I don't know if this is true in the um, UK, but in the United States, it is the best selling of their albums. However, it was not the album that charted the highest on its release and didn't have um, the highest charting singles um, from the album here in the United States. But it is overall, um, uh, globally, their best selling album. And I think the reason for this is. This is a getting busy album. This is a making out with your girlfriend album. 
I wonder how many of the sales that they made from this album were from guys thinking, I'm going to mack to this album. Because it is, because yeah. it's, I totally see it. You know, at the time I was a little too young to be in that mind frame. Um, but I totally see it. But the, the great thing about this album is it's a sly making out album. So if you yeah. go and you put Sade on or you put Al Green on, the, the, you know, your partner's going, oh, I see what's Look going on white. here. But, yeah. but you, yeah, that's right. But you could put this on conceivably and, you know, still, still, you know, uh, be be working a little bit like covertly and not tip well, your in, hand. Um, yeah. In 19, this, in, in ninth, this is a total <laughs> necking in your car in the eighties yeah. album. <laughs> Firstly, I completely agree. And you are so yeah, right. Absolutely. Um, and secondly, I think that's what makes it for me, the pinnacle Roxy music, because <laughs> that, that whole right. sort of like sleazy lounge lizard, I'm hanging out with models with my martini voice. <laughs> this is all they were trying to do. They finally that's, reached that's it. That's right. I was just going to say, Brian Ferry, he meets, he, he he gets to Nirvana for him, right? This, this, this is Avalon. Isn't this the promised I mean, land? <laughs> um, so we we heard more than this at the top of the show. Oh, that's obviously off of the, that's the big hit off of this album. Um and so I thought I would like to feature as the second song, a song called The Main Thing, because I think that this is the most rambunctious song on the album, which tells you a lot about this album. So this is like, this is not, a, you know, there are certain albums that if you are making out and suddenly a song comes on the album, it just like kills the mood. There is no mood killers. This is the most rambunctious that you get. And it's still, you know, it's still kind of a getting busy song. So what, So why don't we listen to uh, the main thing? shows with like this dark wet shiny alleyway and then there's this tall woman on heels with like a leather jacket and leather pants and she's got like big hair and and i don't know streaked eyeshadow or uh, to me that's what this that's the visual of this song and that is roxy music that's exactly roxy yeah. music i it, mean the name comes from uh, literally the name comes from um a very sat down with a list of um of closed cinemas from the UK uh, and chose Roxy, but then there was an American band called Roxy, so they had to be Roxy Music. But um, his whole thing is so filmic. you know. Incidentally, Roxy Music, much better name than Roxy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> For sure. 
But his whole thing has always been cinematographic and filmic, you know. It's all about being Humphrey Bogart smoking a cigarette in an alleyway, you know. And, yeah, this this is the pinnacle of that, I agree. Excellent. Well, I think um, my anticipation was we were just going to blaze through this uh, these <laughs> albums, but that was not the case. So we are uh, pretty short on time. I think I have my work set out for me as far as editing this down. Um, so let's just do a little summary um, as far as our takeaways from uh, from our experience, just kind of immersing ourselves in in the Roxy Music uh, studio catalog. I um, I I don't know that I'm as excited about them as I thought that I was going to be. I think that they are really really enjoyable. But I, I can't I can't get super duper excited about any of these albums. I think they're great, but I, I don't know. I, I'm a little surprised at how uh, sort of even keel my reaction is to uh, to their catalog. What, what about you, Rob? Well, I'm just the opposite. Um, I, I think that first off, I'm going to listen to their last three albums first because those were my least favorite. Uh, and I'm taking everything that Richard said into account and looking back on my own notes for this episode and, and all the research I did, the cinema is definitely a strong point. Through It's a thread through every single album. Um, I'm also going to take into account the progression of album covers because I also think that's important, you know. And, and uh, yeah, I, I, I think that this is going to, I'm going to have to sit with it for a while. I'm going to listen to these song or these albums a couple more times and and uh I have already changed my top 10. I don't or my not my top 10 but my the list of, you know, what my favorite albums should be in. I mm-hmm. don't want to say I'm going to stick with that for right now, but yeah. who knows? Who knows? Well, the the good news is the last two albums we will get a chance to revisit because Absolutely. they of course fall within the date range of what we'll be covering. So um, I'm I'm looking forward to getting some distance from their music and then coming back and yeah. um, revisiting yeah. at some point. What about you? So there, there are probably less revelations for you, Richard, because you're you were more intimately familiar with their catalog going in. Maybe, but I've never listened to their albums in order before, and mm. and had to sort of think about it in this way. And the thing that's really fascinated me is, firstly, that something I didn't know until I started researching for this is that Ferry wrote all of the songs on the first two albums, because I've always thought of it as like, oh, Eno left and that's why they don't sound like that anymore. And to some extent that's true, but it was Ferry's songs. <laughs> Ferry wrote Virginia Plain and, and Do the Strand, that's astonishing. Um, but um, also, the continuity of Ferry's vision from the start is is astonishing, really. It's like in the first sort of couple of album stuff, you know, his band all dressed in outrageous glam rock clothes and, you know, doing this wild, weird stuff. And he's, although a lot of his lyrics are sort of funny and nonsense, nonsensical and some of it is caricature, he keeps up this sort of suave... He's the only person that could turn up to an event, I think, in a white shirt with an undone bow tie 
and that would be okay because <laughs> because it it's all about taking that hollywood glamour and then making it sort of decadent and and faded and and he's done that perfectly through the whole thing with a huge transition of styles of music but that's a constant and I, I really appreciate that. And and his dad dancing, of course. I, I have, having watched a lot of videos this week, I'm totally going to just dance like Brian Ferry for the rest of my life now. <laughs> um, that's he, that's just amazing. There's uh, the footage actually of them playing uh, "Do the Strand" on um, the old Grey Whistle Test, which is on YouTube. He's he's doing that sort of shoulders forward dancing he does, and then he's got a piano part. And he, he actually does that over to the piano. <laughs> There's no way he thought that was actually cool, but it's such a caricature of cool that it becomes cool. And, you know, that's admirable. Um, I would also say I find his politics really quite objectionable, his pro-fox hunting and all that sort of thing. But he falls into, rather than being Morrissey, he falls into that kind of category with of conservatives who were cool enough to pull it off, like uh, Kate Bush, Gary Newman, whatever. Um, so, uh, you know, even though I'm so anti-fox hunting, but I can't deny I still like Ryan Ferry. Because <laughs> his art transcends his politics. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. I mean, I thank goodness for you and your contribution. You you really yeah. added so much to the conversation. Um, when it comes to Roxy Music, we're both uh, pretty wet behind the ears. So it was great to have you here to kind of keep us from going too far off track. There were a number of things that we wanted to cover uh uh, you know, before we wrap up, but we're going over, so I think we're going to have to skip most of it. But there is one super timely thing um, we I think we should spend at least a minute um, just uh, noting a, um, uh, a, a passing. Um, so, Rob, this is uh, this is something that came up on your radar. Uh, yeah. What do you, what what what's going well, on? Well, actually, the, the it came up on my radar because uh, Richard had had said something about it on social media, and that is the uh, passing of Jordan Mooney, um, which is uh, unfortunate. Um, she, I think, was just in her early well, maybe she's sixty-five or sixty-six, but um, Jordan Mooney was basically the queen of punk, right? Yeah, I mean, what I really admire. Okay, firstly sort of full disclosure she was my f probably first celebrity crush when i was about 13 um yeah. and i've i've always had this deep seated belief really that one day i would meet jordan and uh, so her death has kind of put pay to that cuz i never did um but what i it, 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 as a 14 15 year old she completely informed my life really by being so important without actually doing anything i mean she was a shop assistant at malcolm mclaren's sex shop she appeared on stage with the pistols just because she got on stage from the audience uh, on on a tv show she was adam the ants manager and did one john peel session vocal with them really she didn't do a lot 
apart from just B. Jordan, but everyone, she, she was the centre of the British punk scene. Well, and she was, she was, she was kind of like she was one of the faces of the the punk rock aesthetic, right? Well, I would say she was the yeah. face, really. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's people that, like Susie Sue, you know, became mm-hmm. famous because they were pictured with Jordan, <laughs> and it's not like the media were picking up on her she she was just being herself and she's like a you know middle class girl from the south coast who was really into ballet <laughs> it's just astonishing she yeah. she she just create the the most most sort of individual and independent human being i can imagine really well i'll tell you the name did not ring a bell but as soon as i googled her i recognized her visually so she is mm-hmm. she she is definitely one of the faces of the english punk movement the original punk movement um and so this is just a quick little uh moment to um acknowledge the passing of an icon yeah we should uh, she's uh, just before her death actually she released an autobiography called define gravity which i think everyone should go out and buy now Perfect. Well, I think we have to uh, wrap things up. Um, I imagine that there are some people out there like me going, that Richard Temple, he's, he's, that, he's got something. I want to learn more about him. So what are you, what are you doing? Where can, where can people go to, to see more of your work? Well, thank you. Um, I'm... Well, I'm more or less out of the music industry now. I mean, the reason I'm on here, obviously, is because I spent most of my life in the music industry as a musician and DJ and music writer and whatever. Um, but I'm I'm pretty much retired from that, and I'm concentrating on writing and uh, poetry now. Um, so I have I have got a couple of things I'd like to plug, if that's okay. Um, I've got a well, my, the latest book I'm featured in is is uh, called Songs of Peace, um, a poetry anthology. Um, which is published in India um, and in theory is available on Amazon.com. It's not available in the rest of the world, but India and America, you can get that, apparently. And I was also featured in uh, um, an anthology called um, They Want All Their Teeth To Be Ours. Oh, sorry, They Want All Our Teeth To Be Theirs, rather. They Want All Our Teeth To Be Theirs. Um, uh, and uh, that came out earlier this year. I think... That's it. That's published in the UK, but I think it's uh, available worldwide. Um, and uh, I've got a couple of live events coming up as well. Um, if anyone happens to be in Wales, in the UK, uh, on the 28th of April, I'll be performing at uh, Poets and Peasants in Lampeter. Um, I do the Unmesh online poetry reading most Saturdays, if anyone would like to Google and find that. Uh, and kind of most importantly, probably, I guess, 24th, 26th of June, um, there's a festival called Paradox on Sea, an orthodox Paradox on Sea, uh, which is going to be held in North Wales in Anglesey. Uh, and I'll be there performing both as a DJ and as a poet on the spoken word stage. So it'd be great to see anyone there. So uh, in a couple of weeks, we are going to release... Um the april i think we're up to april now right rob we are indeed yes april of 1979 as i mentioned before it is a course correction from the 
uh, output of March, which didn't really <laughs> thrill me so much. So I'm very, well. very much excited about that. Um, excellent. I think that's about it. Uh, thanks. One last thanks to Richard and, of course, to you, Rob, for um, sticking in there. We had a number of technical difficulties but we got through it so hooray for that and uh, we will talk to everybody in a couple of weeks thanks a lot see ya wish everybody would leave me alone yeah they're always calling on my telephone when i pick it up there's nobody there so i walk outside just take me come on with me cruising down the street You'll see who you might be to This brave new world is not like yesterday It can take you